You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to a vacation edition of the Evan Roberts Podcast. I'm in the midst of a nice, relaxing vacation, a staycation at this point. It started off by going down to Florida, visited the family, enjoyed the warm weather, went to the beach, jumped in the ocean, got a suntan, or at least in my case, I got really, really burnt. And now I'm back in New York, just kind of relaxing and chilling. A couple of things that I'd like to talk about. Number one, the Nets, they end the first half of the season by defeating the Cleveland Cavaliers in triple overtime on Wednesday night in a game that aged all of us if you're a Nets fan, in a game they had to have. I mean, to go into the All-Star break, one game under 500, losing six out of seven, including losses in Orlando and a loss at home to the Bulls and a loss in Cleveland against the Cavs in which they're not even playing Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson would have been brutal. And not to say it would have ruined everything they did during their hot stretch, but to sit there for eight days and stare at the standings and see that you're one game under 500 would have been a very depressing feeling, especially with the way they've played over the last few weeks since Spencer Dinwiddie went out with his thumb injury. So as ugly as it was on Wednesday, as crazy as it was on Wednesday, as lucky as it felt in the game against Cleveland, somehow they escaped. You know, Damare Carroll hits the game-tying three to end the second overtime. D'Angelo Russell, who was a mess most of the night, stepped up and gave you that star effort in the third overtime. This is after he was turning the ball over constantly, was missing a ton of shots. But Kenny Atkinson stuck with him. And you could argue, well, look, no Spencer Dinwiddie. Where is he going? Where he could have gone is Shabazz Napier. Shabazz Napier was playing well at times, and I thought made a lot of key plays in the third quarter and the first half of this game to keep them relatively close because this was a game in which it felt like it could morph into the Chicago game at times. Their sloppiness, their lack of defense could have led to this 10, 11-point Cleveland lead ballooning up to 15, 16, 17, and maybe them putting themselves in a hole they couldn't get out of. But what they did in this game, especially the close quarters, is they kept it close. There was a play here and there that was pivotal. Damare Carroll save where he goes flying to the stands, and then Karis LeVert has a nice little look, little layup, I think it was, a nice move. It was things like that that kept him in the game, and obviously they were able to pull this thing out and defeat the Cleveland Cavaliers and get to the break at game over 500. And I look at it this way before I get to Jacob DeGrom because that's the other thing I want to address. They have 10 games out of the All-Star break before the brutal West Coast trip. And I have no idea when Spencer Dinwiddie's going to come back. The hope is he would be able to come back for this West Coast trip. And keep this in mind. Other guys are going to get hurt. This is the Nets for crying out loud. And we've already seen it. Look at last night, the Wednesday game against Cleveland. Rody Karutz basically out of nowhere misses the game. Who knows how serious that injury is. Travion Graham wasn't an injury. It was a personal thing. Hopefully everything's okay with him. But injuries are going to come. There's probably going to be more. That's kind of been the story of this season. 
So you can't just sit there assuming, all right, well, when Spencer comes back, they'll be fully healthy. We don't know that. Something else may happen between now and then. But here's the point. They're game above 500. They've got 10 games coming up before they go on the brutal trip. My goal personally is 7-3. and three. If you could do that, you go into the seven-game trip 5 over 500, which at least gives you a little bit of a security blanket. More realistically, maybe 6-4, and four, you do that, you're three games above 500 going into the seven-game trip. Anything less than that, and you're asking for trouble. Because that seven-game trip, you may realistically be looking at best-case scenario being a 2-5 and five or a 3-4 and four trip. And, and possibly worse. Because that entire trip is against either playoff teams or teams that are in a playoff race. The easiest, and I'm using, you know, bunny quotes here, the easiest game is probably the L.A. Clippers since they made the Tobias Harris trade, but the Clippers are a pain in the ass. We've seen them come back in big way. They came back against the Nets in Brooklyn earlier this season. They had a great comeback in Detroit, a great comeback in Charlotte. Certainly Tobias Harris was a factor in all these games. But still, that won't be easy, especially on the road. So it's giving yourself a cushion going into that seven-game trip. Now let me get to DeGrom. First of all, one year ago, coming off a solid season, that's how I would define Jacob DeGrom's 2017, a solid, solid season. That was the time three years before free agency to lock this guy up. And I'm not just saying that now, coming off a Cy Young year, I said it then. He has been the ace of this team for years, even if certain Met fans and certain baseball fans didn't want to admit it. You know, whether it was Matt Harvey or it's Noah Syndergaard, everybody was the ace before it was Jacob DeGrom. Even though Jacob DeGrom became the unquestioned ace of this team in Game 5 of the National League Division Series. And it hasn't really been that close. I'm sorry. That's the reality. And I don't know if it's because he doesn't have a nickname. I don't know what it is, but he's always been the underappreciated guy in this Met era of dominant starting pitchers, if you even want to call it that. At times, dominant starting pitchers. So in 2017, Jacob deGrom comes off an injury. Remember, he was having a very good 2016, had a couple of bad starts in August and early September, one of which jumped out at me was against the Giants, against Madison Bumgarner, where they jumped all over Bumgarner, then Bumgarner hit a home run against DeGrom, and I think he pitched like four innings, gave up six or seven runs, and a few more lousy starts after that. We were all concerned. His ERA was still pretty good, and the Mets shut him down, and he had the surgery. He responds to that in 2017 by having a real solid year, an innings year. He goes out and makes 30-plus starts. He goes out there and throws 200 innings, and he has a good year. Not a Cy Young year, good year. And that was the moment to go to Jacob DeGrom and say, look, you proved you were healthy. We really believe in you. You have three more years of arbitration eligibility. Let's buy out two free agent years. All right, we're going to give you a five-year deal. And we're going to give you $15, $16 million a year. So we're going to give you the security of a five-year contract we're going to give you more money than you probably would have earned in arbitration. And it's a win-win. Because when you get to free agency at 33, you don't know what your market's going to be. And you also don't know what you're going to do for the next three years. That was the time to attack. And the Mets didn't do it. Now, why didn't they do it? Did they feel like, well, we don't have to do it. You know, we tried to do it with Jonathan Neese, and it sort of backfired because Neese never really turned out to be much. They tried to do it with Juan Lagares, and now they're finally sitting here in the final year of his deal, and that hasn't worked out. 
Jacob deGrom is not Jonathan Nice. Jacob deGrom is not Juan Lagares. Jacob deGrom, coming into last season, before he had the dominant year, had already done more than any of those guys. He was already, in my humble opinion, the ace of this team. And that was the time to take advantage of it and sign him to an extension. This is not revisionist history. This is something I strongly felt a year ago. But okay, they didn't do it. We have three years of control. What's the rush? So last year, Jacob deGrom has this all-world year, dominant, dominant season. Now, obviously, deGrom is going to ask for more, obviously. Guy's coming off a historical season. Guy's coming off a Bob Gibson kind of year. So the price tag is going to be higher. With that said, they should still effort to sign him to a contract extension because it still benefits Jacob DeGrom to do so. Now, you could counter by saying, well, why? You know, he's two years now from free agency. Can you imagine what he's going to get in free agency? Well, let Jake and his new agent imagine what could happen in free agency. You don't know what's going to happen. You know, Dallas Keuchel had a Cy Young season a couple of years ago. He's still sitting out there. Now, you could view Patrick Corbin and say, well, look at Patrick Corbin. Here's the thing about Patrick Corbin and why it's dangerous for Jacob DeGrom's agent or Jake himself to say, boy, uh, look what Patrick Corbin got. Number one, Corbin hit free agency at a younger age, a significantly younger age. And number two, and this is the big question, even though as a big Jake fan, I'm confident he'll be fine. We don't know what Jake's going to do the next two years. So I think there is a motivation for DeGrom to get that extension right now. Why would he want to deal with free agency? If he was a free agent in this moment, coming off the year he was coming off of, at the age he's at, fine, you take your chance. And I think he'd do okay. Two years is a very long time from now. So I think when you sit down at the table, there is a motivation for DeGrom and for his agent to make a deal. So I hear, well, Jake's got all the bargaining power. No, he doesn't. I think both sides should be motivated to make a deal. I don't think the, the power in this negotiation tilts one way more than the other because even though Jake's coming off this great year and he could cite that year, give me this, give me that, he wants an extension. It benefits him to buy out some of these free agent years because you don't know what it's going to look like in two years, what the landscape of this sport is going to look like in two years. And yeah, you are coming off a great year. So can he get a Clayton Kershaw kind of contract? Probably not. But if the Mets sit down right now and say, look, we're going to give you a five-year contract, which means we're going to buy out three of your free agent years and two of these arbitration years. Maybe it's a four-year contract, and you forget this year because he's already making a pretty penny. And you offer him $25 million a year. I don't think that's a bad thing for Jake. Because they know the risk of free agency. Two years from now, you don't know what's going to happen. And it's not just yourself. It's not just a lack of confidence in yourself and what he's going to do for the next two years. You don't know what the landscape of free agency is going to look like. We are in a world right now, and we've seen this with guys who have been locked up, and we've seen this with guys who hit free agency, a la Bryce Harper and Manny Machado and even Dallas Keuchel, not as much Patrick Corbin. It behooves the player to sign before free agency. And that's been something we've seen now for a good decade. A lot of really good baseball players have not gotten to the open market because why risk it? 
when you can make a deal two or three years before free agency sits in. So it would not be stupid for the Mets to sign him right now. It would be smart for the Mets to sign him right now because they run the risk, the opposite risk of Jake. So on Jake's side, hey, two years from now, you don't know what free agency is going to look like. You don't know what years you're going to be coming off of. You don't know what the market's going to look like. That same argument is why the Mets should lock him up. Because one thing about the Mets, and we've seen this for years now, and it's not to say they don't spend money. They spend money. They may not spend enough money. But when was the last time the New York Mets went toe-to-toe with teams that desperately wanted a player in free agency and the Mets beat them out? You can't say that happened with Joanna Cespedes because when you look at that market for Cespedes, there was not a huge, robust market for him. The Nationals' offer, I think, in his first free agency featured a ton of deferred money. So there was a negative to the Washington offer. So sure, the Mets gave Yoannis Cespedes first that three-year, sort of one-year deal, and then eventually gave him the $100 million, but there was not this intense, robust market for Cespedes. They didn't outbid a bunch of different teams to get him. David Wright, smartly, even though it turned out not to be smartly, but at the time I thought it was smart, they bought him out before he got the free agency. The last time the Mets outbid everybody on a free agent was Carlos Beltran. It's the last time. Pedro Martinez, Carlos Beltran, that same grouping of guys. That's 15 years ago. If you let DeGrom get to free agency, and sure, on one side, well, maybe there won't be a great market for him. He's going to be 33 years old. Everything that I mentioned could be the fear of Jake. Well, the fear on the other side is if you let this guy get to free agency, all you need is one team, and I'm not confident the Mets are going to outbid that one team. And I I can see it now, the Mets selling to the fan base. Well, he's 33 years old. Why should we pay for what he's already done? We don't know what he's going to do from here on out. And look, when you're 33 years old and you're in free agency, Jay's going to want a five-year deal, four-year deal. We'll do the math. That takes him until he's 37, 38. If you give him a five-year deal now, that takes him until he's 35. Hell of a lot more reasonable. Get the deal done. And I know that when you do negotiations, when you're involved in this, and we've heard this with the Yankees with Manny Machado, the Mets with Jose Reyes years ago, just because an offer wasn't made doesn't mean you're not talking about numbers and exchanging ideas. So I get all that. But on the surface, when you hear that the Mets haven't even made an offer to Jacob DeGrom, it worries you and it worries me. And I am losing confidence that they're going to get something done. And here's the other negative to it. Now, I think Jake's a stand-up guy, and I think Jake's going to want the baseball, and he's going to want to pitch. I look at him more as a C.C. Sabathia type than I do a Matt Harvey type, where C.C. Sabathia, in his contract year, took the ball every two, three days in that Milwaukee Brewer run. He didn't give a damn. He wanted to win. And Jake has given you every indication he's a guy like that. But we are entering a nuclear-esque war in Major League Baseball between the players and the owners and the agents are involved. And it scares me that the agent and the union is going to try to get into Jacob DeGrom's ear as his agent has floated out in the past about, you know what, nah, I only want to pitch six innings tonight. I'm going to put a self-restriction on me because you're not investing in me long term, so I got to save myself. And that worries me. That's not something I think Jake's going to want to do, but he may be a pawn in this war that's about to take place between the players and the owners. And I don't want to be involved in it. As a fan, 
the Mets have enough issues going into this 2019 season that one thing that should not be an issue is Jacob DeGrom and his contract and what his agent's going to tell him. And does he want to pitch seven or eight innings? Or, eh, you know, let me get out of here out of six innings. Why, why am I going to push my body for you when you're not investing, me in long, investing in me long term? And again, I don't think Jake wants to do that. But he could be a pawn in this war. And I think the last thing the New York Mets want, especially when their general manager is a freaking agent who a year ago was basically throwing one of those first salvos at this war, and then a few months later said to the Mets, either extend Jake or trade Jake. I don't want this war fought with that guy as the general manager. And here's the critique I have of Brody, who I think overall had a solid offseason. I think there are still holes on this Met team. It's the same hole I've been screaming about since October, and that's they need starting pitching depth, and they do not have it. And look, I could do an hour on Mickey Calloway already announcing Jason Vargas is the fifth starter, which is an absolute joke, all right? Even if he's the leader to be the fifth starter, don't come out here and announce it. Say, hey, I believe Jason Vargas is going to be the fifth starter. He's got to earn it. He's got to go into spring training, and he's got to hold off Corey Oswald. And he's got to hold off Hector Santiago. And he's got to hold off Walter Lockett as if he's a real threat. Or he's got to hold off somebody, dare I say, we may sign. I don't like the idea of anointing Jason Vargas as the fifth starter. I have no problem anointing Zach Wheeler and you know Noah Syndergaard and Jacob DeGrom and maybe Steven Matz. I got a problem anointing Jason Vargas. I don't give a damn how much money he makes. So the Mets have enough issues to deal with at the back end of the rotation that the one thing you don't want to hear about and this organization doesn't need is Jacob DeGrom. And here's a little business reason why this should be done. There are a lot of Mets fans, myself included, that still scream and yell, about their lack of effort in going after Bryce Harper and going after Manny Machado and even going after a guy like Dallas Keuchel. We see the Mets spend. They don't spend enough. That's been the critique I've certainly had about the Mets since the Bernie Madoff scandal. Before that, I thought they spent fine. I really did. I always defended them. Beltron and Pedro and taking on Delgado's contract and Santana. I would always defend them. I'd say, look, they're not the Yankees, but they spend. Now they don't spend enough. You can briefly change the narrative by showing an investment in one of your guys. I'm sorry, I don't buy this idea that it would be stupid for the Mets to extend Jacob DeGrom. It'd be stupid not to. I don't care what kind of year he's coming off of. Now look, if his agent is saying he's getting $40 million a year and he's getting an eight-year contract and I'm not budging, okay, fine, I'm not giving him that. Things have to be within reason. But I really think there is a common ground where both sides give a little bit and it makes sense for everybody. Getting him to sign a five-year contract, even at $30 million a year, makes sense for everybody. Because Jacob DeGrom now is protected instead of going into the uncharted free agent waters at 33. And if you're the Mets, you're not locked into him till he's 40. See, that's the other problem. If your attitude is, you know what? Let him get the free agency, and then, you know, we'll resign him. We're going to make believe that the Madoff thing didn't happen, and the Mets actually spend a lot of money. And we'll take care of him. Oh, really? So when Jacob DeGrom gets to free agency at 33, and he's coming off two more great years, and he demands a six-year deal, and somebody's willing to give it to him, 
You're going to give him a contract that takes him till he's 39, 40 years old? And you think that's a better decision than locking him up right now? And personally, I'm not a super confident guy when it comes to my teams. I believe in Jacob DeGrom. I really, I've always believed in Jacob DeGrom, and you know that if you've listened to the show. I've always thought he was the ace. And I look at the age, and I look at the innings, and I look at his toughness, and I look at his ability to get outs even when he doesn't have electric stuff, and I see a guy that will age well. Now, am I taking a risk? Of course. You always take a risk with pitchers. Every last one of them. Look how Felix Hernandez has aged. Look at the health of Clayton Kershaw. I get the risk. I am willing to take that risk. Now, I have no confidence the Mets are going to get this done. I have confidence that for the next two years, we're going to deal with this garbage. We're going to deal with this. The talk of Jacob DeGrom's contract. And that's not a good thing. There's plenty of other things I could say about the Mets, but I want to leave it at that. Uh, I'll return on Monday. Joe will then go on vacation. And I'll actually be filling in for Mike with John Jastrzemski for, for the entirety of next week. And then after that, Joe and I will return on February something at 10 a.m. This has been a Jacob DeGrom extension edition of the Evan Roberts podcast.